Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with business and well-being thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Generation X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tamu Thomas, founder of The 360 Brand. I'm a life coach, speaker, writer, and podcaster too. I am passionate. In fact, I believe that it is my divine assignment to help Generation X women connect with their inner leader, the leader that resides in their emotions, buried by logic and the desire to be good. Logic and being good according to someone else's standards is okay for surviving, but round here, we are in the business of thriving. I use my background in social work, life coach training, and my superpower of loving kindness to help women connect to who they really are so they can expand into themselves fully embrace their leadership qualities and relinquish the chaos that exists within the duality of who we are and who we think we should be. My intention for this podcast is to plant seeds and create aha moments that bring you closer to your centre so that you can start to embrace your 360 degrees wholeheartedly. Welcome to episode 75. In today's episode, I am joined by Natalie Liu, founder of website, gosh, Empire, known as Baggage Reclaim. Natalie is an author. She's written five books. She runs a membership community. She is a consultant slash coach. She's a podcaster. She is a writer and she is an artist. This woman's strengths interest, expertise, no, no bounds. However, I have her on this podcast episode taking a deep dive into people-pleasing. That is one of her areas of speciality. Guys, this is a juicy conversation. We go there. This conversation could be confronting, activating and or triggering because we are not glossing over anything. We talk about people pleasing as manipulation. We talk about how the inner child manifests as people pleasing in adulthood. We talk about people pleasing leading to at times debilitating health issues, boundaries, you name it, we cover it. Okay, not you name it, we cover it, but anything to do with people pleasing that we felt was important, we cover it. And Natalie's expertise really shines through. I think that this may be an episode where you will be assisted by having a journal. We're not just talking about theory, there are also some practical tools and tips that are shared within this episode. Um, This is a really important episode, actually, and I think that people that may not 
think they are people pleasers, maybe having a conversation with themselves um, about people pleading, people pleasing even tendencies they didn't realise were a thing. I could go on and on and on, but I will not. This is a really thought provoking episode. I think that people will gain lots of insights. Um, So if you do, I would love to hear from you. You can slide into my DMs via Instagram at live360 or you can share on Instagram stories, tag me in um, and I will join you in the DMs. Um, And if you hear something in this conversation that you think could be useful to somebody else, please do share. Okay, guys, take care. Hello, my loves. I hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of 360 Conversations. Today, we are going to have a beautiful, real, possibly challenging at times, conversation about people-pleasing. And my guest, Natalie Liu, is the best person in my eyeline to have a conversation about this because she shares a wide range of information. Let me tell you, Natalie Liu is not playing. She has got a personal development, self-help, self-care, self-love empire. And (laughs) something that I really appreciate in terms of the content she produces and the services she offers is her expertise in terms of people pleasing. I believe that Natalie is a fresh voice, even though she's an OG in these streets, she has been doing this for a minute. Um, But I think that she offers a really fresh perspective. I'm not gonna say too much because I am going to say hi to Natalie properly and ask her to tell us a bit about herself and what she does. But what I really enjoy about Natalie's content, um, content, and this is certainly the social worker in me speaking, is that Natalie doesn't just give us the really beautiful poetic stanzas about issues. She also provides really tangible, accessible pathways to addressing issues. And I know that when I first took a real meaningful foray into the world of personal development, when I had a period of stuckness, something that really struck me was that lots of the things I was reading seemed to be very philosophical, very poetic, very almost idealistic. And although the concepts were easy to understand, the steps from getting where I was to working towards what they were quote unquote selling, the steps seem to be absent. Uh, And and, uh, Natalie doesn't leave those gaps. So before I go any further, I would like to introduce you to Natalie Lou. Good morning, Natalie, how are you? Good morning, I am very excited. You know, I've been looking forward to this conversation. For ages. So Natalie and I were originally going to have this conversation a couple of months ago. However, I went crazy scheduling my days, but wasn't scheduling my weeks. So my days and my weeks weren't marrying and I very quickly headed into overwhelm and had to pump the brakes sharp. So I'm really 
thrilled to have you here and um, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I can so relate to the whole uh, scheduling days, but not weeks. So I've had some big life lessons around that, you know, in terms of understanding your bandwidth, because often you go, yes, 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 yes. And then when you actually put your week into context, you go, uh, no, like I would have to be Wonder Woman to fit all of that in. And this, my friends, falls under the umbrella of people pleasing. It most definitely does. Most definitely does. I am going to ask you to tell us about what you do and, and a bit about yourself, but I need to ask you this question. So in my membership group yesterday, we were talking about, well, well somebody posted something about the year 2019. And yesterday we were talking about how, although this year has been really beautiful, for many people, it's been really tricky. It's been really challenging and uh, someone was saying something along the lines of, um, like, not another thing can happen or something along those lines. And this isn't me trying to do toxic positively thinking my way out of things. But I, unlike other years when I've been like, whoa, this year has been tricky. It feels to me like 2019 has been tricky for many of us because it has been a year of deeper reflection, deeper understanding, deeper learning, and actually taking time to allow that learning to become wisdom. So unlike other years where it has felt like a real challenge, for me, it feels like a bit of a paradigm shift. Like, actually, what's happening here, this is what I said in the membership group, I talk about a lot about growth, a lot about nature. It feels to me like we are seedlings in the soil and the discomfort we are feeling is the husk coming off the seed. And I don't know, like even now I can feel it in my womb. I've just got this sense that 2020 and the next decade is the decade that if you want to, you will begin to bloom. And the reason that I started telling this story, because I nearly forgot, is that I never thought that people-pleasing was within my personality. And I mean the personality that we embody to show the world. And it's only when I started really looking at things like my schedule and how I would overthink when I've said no to somebody that I realized that actually that too is people pleasing. It's not just about saying yes, it's also about overcommitting yourself and having a huge hangover when you have said no or put boundaries in place. What say you, Natalie Lou? Well, I, I mean, you, you, I've just been nodding my head like crazy there because I think that when it comes to people pleasing, what I find is a lot of people have a sense that they might be people pleasing, but they're not exactly sure how that manifests. Or they think that it, it, people pleasing looks a, a particular way. So they think, oh, it just means like I'm a doormat. Like, so they think, well, I'm not a doormat. So, or in the way that I think that a doormat is. So that's not me. But when we actually start to look at how we treat ourselves and why, what we struggle to say no to, 
where we almost automatically say yes without thinking, do I have the time, the energy, you know, the attention span, you know, the, the bandwidth as such for this, we realize, oh, actually, something is off here. Like people pleasing is only something that really came into my vocabulary over the last several years, but mm-hmm. it's something that is as natural to me as breathing because I have been doing it all my life. It is instinctively putting other people's needs, expectations, desires, feelings, and opinions ahead of our own. And on some level, sometimes consciously, sometimes not, trying to minimize or outright eliminate conflict, criticism, uh, disappointment, loss, rejection, and yes, sometimes being afraid of abandonment. And if we have been doing something all of our life or most of it, and we think, oh, this is what gets us attention, approval, um, affection, you know, love, validation, we won't necessarily see that for what it is because we mm-hmm. think that it's just the way to be. But then when somebody asks us to do something and in our head we're going, well, yeah, but if I don't do it, they're going to think this about me. And what if everybody thinks this? Or well, what if, you know, what if they seem like I'm, I'm rude or harsh or not grateful? That type of conversation is a people pleasers conversation an overthinker's conversation that is going on in our mind. And any of us who are people-pleasing, and one of the things I say to people is, yeah, sometimes you get somebody who literally people-pleases right across the board. But what we often find is we people-please in certain situations and around certain people and about certain things. And sometimes it is pervasive across our life, but sometimes it's in very, very specific areas. Mm-hmm. And if it's, it's through awareness and recognizing through our feelings. Do we feel overloaded, burdened, overwhelmed, resentful, frustrated, irritated, helpless, powerless, victimized, sometimes hitting, you know, not just even sometimes down periods, but sometimes hitting full on depression. These are all things that are saying we are over our bandwidth and we are always over, whenever we're over our bandwidth, it is because we didn't actually consider us. And when we don't consider us, it's because we're doing some form of people pleasing somewhere with someone. And that's why we're overcommitted. It's why we sometimes feel like, oh, I have this role in my relationships. I have to be the listener. I have to be the fixer, the helper, the healer, the, the good one, the bad one, the responsible one, the strong one, the whatever one. And when we start to notice these things, we can make very, very powerful shifts in our life, often in what can be a remarkably small amount of time, considering how long we've been people-pleasing for. Can we just all take a deep breath in, and a deep breath out right now. So many things. I'm gonna stick a pin. I'm gonna stick a pin. These, before I stick the pin, these are the conversations I live for. So before I return to some of what you have said, some of what you have shed light on, some of my listeners may not have come across you. 
They may not have had the pleasure of uh, being dragged by one of your (laughs) Instagram (laughs) captions or your content. I'm going to ask you to tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. However, I'm asking this with a twist. I would like you to respond to this as if you were speaking to yourself in your 20s. Oh, <laughs> oh, girl, a lot of things have changed since you were in your 20s. Um, right now, what you do is you help people pleasers, perfectionists, overthinkers to let go of the emotional baggage that stops them from being themselves. You have been writing a blog for over 15 years. Ooh, 15! Yeah, and all of that crappy stuff that you used to go through, that self-hatred, those experiences of abandonment, the struggles that you had with family, with work, with friendships, you know, the traumas that you've been through, you're using all of that stuff to help so many people around the world to overcome their own stuff. And you did that all off the back of realizing that you had appalling taste in men and that as much as you were the relationships girl, you actually were emotionally unavailable and struggling and you've turned that around and you are doing things that you didn't even dream of doing. I couldn't even have pictured because you always thought you'd have to like be in a job and proving yourself in some way. But instead, you tell stories. You tell stories, stories about your life, other people's lives, and you use that to help people change theirs, to understand themselves, to see themselves in ways that they didn't see themselves before so that they can heal. Mm-hmm. Natalie Lou as I said in the very beginning, is not playing. Natalie has an empire, okay? She has written, is it seven books? No, uh, I keep saying four, but it's actually five. (laughs) Five, okay, I thought I saw seven on your, but still, she has written five books. You've got a membership community. Yeah. You do consultancy slash coaching. Yeah. You've got a podcast. Yeah. You're a speaker. Yeah. You're a writer. Yeah. And I've started, I've got back into my artist side. I've been painting and drawing as well. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I'm in in a very, very interesting season of my life. Hey, I'm loving it. Absolutely loving it. Before I gush on about your empire, I'd like to go back to what you were talking about in relation to people-pleasing, autopilot responses, Mm. and all that jazz. So in my um, unlayering and um, thinking about my career in social work, thinking about the similarities and the differences between what I was doing in social work and what I am now doing as a life coach, what... I have really began to understand is that people pleasing is an epidemic. Yes. And my view, my assessment is that people pleasing is born out of 
socialization. So when we are little, we are our innate selves and our parents usually wanting to do the best for us and support us, condition us. They squash down parts of our innate character and they highlight other parts and we get told, well done, that's good. You're a good girl, you're a good boy. And so we start to naturally adjust and temper down our innate qualities and live for, a lot of us do, not all of us, but live for, most of us, the things that will elicit praise, attention, Mm -hmm. so we'll be good. So when I look at people pleasers that I'm working with, They are high flyers, high achievers. They're Mm -hmm. very successful. They can outwork anybody. Mm -hmm. They can learn new skills. They'll do the bits they need to do to furnish themselves with the skills and experience necessary to be good, do good, overgiving, overserving, over, 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 Mm -hmm. feeling a lot of resentment because they are feeling like their efforts are not being acknowledged. Mm -hmm. and when I ask them are you acknowledging what you're doing it's almost it's like a someone's pressed the brakes really hard on the car on a car and because these women are very clever they are detached from what their bodies are saying to them in a discussion they are very able to cognitively think their way out of the possibility that they are people pleasing and then when I either do something that helps them to connect their mind and their heart their their head and their body we start to unpeel and look at things or when I talk about socialization and think about our inner child let's say our inner child is three to four Mm. three to four is the age where you really start to understand what being good is Mm-hmm. And you either play to be good or you play to be so bad, whatever's going to get you the attention. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that people-pleasing is adjacent. Well, people-pleasing is serving your inner child's need to be a good girl, good boy, or a, a big-time rebel. Mm. So people-pleasing is one of the ultimate expressions of immaturity, yeah, people pleasing is a is like wearing a mask or a costume. So it is actually a block to intimacy and it's a block to being ourselves because obviously if we're wearing a mask and a costume, then we're not connecting with people from a place of being us because obviously we are afraid of being us, hence why we're wearing the mask mm-hmm. and the costume of people pleasing. Now, one of the things, there's a, f- a few things I say to people about people pleasing. First of all, that is our survival, mm-hmm. our coping mechanism. It's a response to old hurt and loss. I, it, one of the things I say to people is, imagine that you, got, you asked a five-year-old to come to your home today and to organize the whole thing Marie Kondo style from top to bottom to sort through all of your paperwork, you know, work out what's what. Could a five-year-old do that? No, I'm not even sure my 42-year-old <laughs> could do that. Yet, 
So many of us are going around using beliefs and, and habits, you know, of behavior and thinking that are based on what a three, four, five, mm-hmm. seven, ten, whatever mm-hmm. yourself came up with. And what happens is that in our family, we basically want to do our bit. You know, we want to do our bit to receive attention, affection, approval, love, and validation. But we also want to do things to kind of keep the family together. We are socialized to be people pleasers. So it's part mm-hmm. socialization and part assumption. Particularly for women, we are told to be meek and mild and Mm -hmm. kind and sweet and don't make waves. But I think for both boys and girls, we are told be good and you will get the grades. If you're not the brightest, at least work very hard and please the teachers, please your parents, please the church, please authorities. Mm -hmm. If you work hard, you'll go to university. If you work hard at university, you will get the job. If you get the job, Mm -hmm. you will get the home and the car and the relationship. So Mm -hmm. what happens is we are spat out into adulthood and we are not living in a meritocracy environment. And so we have now built our identity and our our self-worth on pleasing, needing to be needed, proving ourselves to others. So we're going around pleasing. We're sometimes trying to be perfect. We go to work and people Zoom by us. Some of them do not do the pleasing that we do. Mm -hmm. We're at work and we're going, oh, I better not raise my head above the parapet because what if I um, uh, attract criticism? What if people think I'm being loud? What if I'm this? And somebody else turns around and they don't do the pleasing thing or they don't say the pleasing thing and they're promoted. Mm-hmm. Or we think, oh, well, in, in a relationship, I just need to do whatever my partner wants. I have to be whatever I think that they want me to be. And we don't feel loved. We don't feel taken care of. Our emotional needs are not met. And then they skip off down the road to somebody else. And we're going, uh, but what about me? Mm-hmm. What about all of these things that I did? So there is this very, very close connection between, oh, everything that we do, all this efforting is supposed to lead to us getting what we want. And the, the very pervasive emotions for people pleasers are resentment, guilt, yeah, feeling obliged. And I say to people that for the moment that you go around doing things from a sense of obligation, even if you're not entirely aware of it, and I would say the majority of people pleasers are not aware of just how obliged they feel, you're doing what are often good things, but for the wrong reasons. It's the intention behind it. It's mm-hmm. like really nice to give to people, really nice to do things to people. But if you're giving or you're doing or you're being... Because on some level, you're afraid that you're not going to be liked because you're afraid that they're going to lose it with you if you turn around and say no, because you are afraid of how you will look. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. You are trying to control the uncontrollable with your pleasing. And when you talk about it being an epidemic, it absolutely is. Because I think that the overworking, the drinking too much, the eating too much, the shopping, the gambling, all of those things, A lot of that comes from feeling so overloaded, so numb from all of this people pleasing that we're going around doing, trying to be things to, you know, trying to be all things to everybody else, that we anesthetize ourselves against all of this people pleasing by the, uh, through the overwork and the drinking too much and the eating too much, because we are in deep pain. We are living our lives in a way that immaturity is so spot on what you said. And it's not us going, oh my gosh, like you're so immature. (laughs) It's this immature mindset that says you're supposed to please everybody. You're supposed to be what anybody else tells you to be. You're selfish 
if you consider your needs, your expectations, desires, feelings, and opinions, that is immature childlike thinking. Absolutely. It is immature childlike thinking when something happens and we immediately go, is it something I said? Is it something I did? Mm -hmm. Somebody comes into work Mm -hmm. and they have a frown on their face. And we, who have not done anything, the people pleaser is like, have I done something? Did I forget to do something? Didn't I do enough? Do you know how many people as well, in offices all around the world, there's a people pleaser sitting there stewing right now because they're sick and tired of having somebody else's workload dumped on them or they're tired of cleaning out the fridge or the microwave or whatever it is but they still, they keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And it is because this whole thing of like, we get into this mindset, I have to do these things. And actually, we do not have to do all of these things. And what I also loved is that you brought up about rebelling, you know, people being a rebel. So a lot of the time, when when we associate certain things with our personality or we're like, oh, like I'm this kind of person or that kind of person, it obscures us from recognizing people pleasing. Anytime we play a role of any kind, so we know we're like, oh, I'm the rebel. Oh, I'm the savior. Oh, I'm the strong one, the weak one, the responsible one, the irresponsible one, whatever it might be. That is people pleasing. We're playing that role to be good and to help out in our original family or original environment that we Mm -hmm. grew up in. Mm -hmm. That we cultivated these roles when we were in childhood. And it's like, oh, I should be a listener or I should be my parents' confidant, or I've got to be the diplomat or the pig mm-hmm. in the middle. Whatever it is, anything, the rebelling. A lot of people don't see that for what it is. We rebel because that's our role. We're trying to please somebody even mm-hmm. with the rebelling mm-hmm. because by rebelling, somebody else gets to think whatever about themselves or mm-hmm. gets to continue playing whatever role. Yeah. If we're always going, well, I need to be good or I need to be this or I need to be that, that is people-pleasing. flash, guys. That is peak manipulation. Oh my gosh. Now, now we're talking. So (laughs) the thing is, us people pleasers, and I call myself a recovering people pleaser, we love to think that we're very benevolent and giving and generous and all of these things. And I'm not saying that we're not. But like I said before, we do what are often good things, but sometimes not, and for the wrong reasons and with people pleasing it's like creating a debt through our own actions and asking somebody else to pay it off right sorry natalie how many people do we know guys i'm talking to you how many people do you know that are constantly wanting to help but that help is always cashed in at some point We all know somebody like that, or maybe you are that person. There is somebody in my life that I resist her support, her favors, her help. Because there ain't favors or support or help. Because she's going to cash it in at some point in time. And because I don't believe that, like, if I'm doing something for you, if I'm going somewhere with you, or I'm coming to your thing, be damn sure I really want to. Yeah. The days of me thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to make the effort. And I mean, effort in a really cumbersome way. I don't do that anymore. So what does happen, the people please a part of me, the, the hangover from my three, four, five-year-old self is when I say no, and that person, those people 
then have a reaction, I then overthink it and feel bad. It doesn't last as long as it used to, yeah. but that definitely does happen. And I'm not even going to beat myself up for it because I am a human being. I have blood running through my veins. I have a heart pumping. I've got feelings. I am not cold and sterile. However, exactly what Natalie was saying, check yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you somebody that says, but I do this for you? Are you somebody that says, I always do this for so-and-so, they never do it back? Are you somebody that drops hints instead of stating your needs? So dropping a hint instead of stating your needs could be something along the lines of, I could really do with some help with moving. Rather than saying to somebody, I'm moving on such and such a date, I could really do with some help. Are you available? Big difference there. Big, big difference there. It's, so, it's, yeah, people-pleasing is manipulation. Let's discuss. It's, um, <clears throat> as I said, it is creating a debt and expecting other people to pay it off. People-pleasing is showing other people how to behave. So we're doing it because we're not getting what we think we ought to be getting from the other person. We're doing it because we're hoping for some sort of eventual reward. And what typically happens is we're around somebody who is not meeting our needs. And so, for instance... The good girl has often been doing that because they're trying to ha- get the mom to be the good mother or yeah. the good father. Yeah. Or they're afraid that if they don't, that the, that the mother or the father is going to turn into something else. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens is further on the line, when they ever have, they're having sucky friendships or sucky relationships, what's happening is they're people pleasing to show the other person how to behave trying to create a tipping point where the person feels guilty and obliged enough that they go, oh, okay then. I know I've been really crappy to you for like months or years on end, but now I realize how bad I am and now I owe you. Does that happen? No, it does not. So what Mm -hmm. happens is we keep pleasing and pleasing and pleasing and we're dropping these hints. And um, I'm often asked, why do they, when we we break up from somebody who we've been people pleasing around and then they come back, they're like, well, what, what? And then they go again. People say to me, Why? Because they feel guilty. One of the things that we don't realize as people, people pleasers is that we are sometimes consciously, often not trying to get others to feel guilty so that they will finally step up and be and do and give what we want. Now, Mic if we, drop. If we've been with somebody who we people pleased around, when we break up from them, as a part of them, it's going to be like, God, I, 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 I feel bad about all, this, all these things that this person has done, possibly as well because we've reminded them. And then they come back and it feels okay for like a hot minute. And then the resentment from their side starts to kick in and they treat us badly again and they go off. And one of the things I say to people is, if you ever hear yourself going, after everything I did for you, that is the calling card of the people pleaser. After everything I did for you or after everything I've done, why am I unappreciated? Why haven't they done this? Why haven't I done that? If a part of you is feeling like, I did this, why didn't I get that back? It is the people pleasing. Rather than turning around, just like you said, Tammy, rather than turning around and going, I need this or I, I want this or can you or will you, mm-hmm. it's dropping this hint. And sometimes... We're not even like when you're turning around and saying the about that the moving house example. Some people pleasers won't even say anything like that. What they will do is they'll spend days, weeks, 
sucking up, doing all sorts of stuff, somehow thinking that that is going to miraculously translate into the other person sitting there going, oh, look at all of those nice things that that person's done for me. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? I'm going to volunteer and ask them if they want some help with moving. What happens? They don't volunteer because they didn't know that all of those things that we were doing was to try to kind of drop the hint, hey, hey, can you do something for me and recognize what I need? And so then we hate them because we're like, oh my gosh, they're not even thinking of me and volunteering themselves to help me out. I'm such a good friend. They're a bad friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the most, I'd say 99% of people pleasers are incredibly uncomfortable when they realize the, the manipulative angle. And what we have to recognize with this is, first of all, as humans, we are all guilty of being passive aggressive at times because yeah, yeah, yeah. people pleasing is actually a form of passive aggression. And passive aggressive behavior is when we mask feelings of resentment and frustration with a smile on our face, but then we are obstructionist or resistant. Now, or try to make a joke out of something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get yeah, out yeah. of here. Yeah. And one of the, if, if we recognize that we are sometimes dropping hints about our true feelings about stuff through our people pleasing, we will then see what we're doing for what it is rather than it being, oh, look at me. I'm this, this kind and generous person. We can go, you know what? I am a kind and generous person. But sometimes instead of expressing myself, I people please. And then I end up hating people even more and feeling and hating myself. That's the worst part of it is we hate ourselves at the mm-hmm, end of it. Mm-hmm. But we have to recognize it's betrayal this. constantly. Constant self-betrayal. Because if we keep putting our needs, expectations, desires, and, and opinions, you know, at the bottom, we keep suppressing and repressing. Everybody else's goes ahead of us. First of all, if anybody ever says to us, well, you have to put yourself last, they are not the person for us we need to have healthy boundaries with that Mm -hmm. person so that they Mm -hmm. don't encroach on us further but if we're really honest and look around is there are there people in our life that said you have to be a people pleaser you have to do this nine times out of ten the answer is no Mm. we have what happens is we get into adulthood and even though we're no longer a child anymore we continue with the habit so we're continuing on as if we're still that kid who Mm -hmm. feels under threat or is scared and with people pleasing, we keep suppressing and repressing ourselves. Now, we can't do that without it impacting on our emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. Mm-hmm. And so we're either going to implode or explode. Mm-hmm. And so I always compare this to, you know, like when you have, you know, those pressure cookers mm-hmm. that um, our grandparents in particular sort of love mm-hmm. using, cooking mm-hmm. up pig's feet, cow foot, <laughs> My mum was forever steaming some kind of meat she bought from Shepherd's Bush Market. Yeah, 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 yeah. Road. yeah, yeah, totally. But you know, if you leave those on on the hob without obviously you know adjusting them or turning it off, that that thing would explode. Yeah, that's what happens to all people pleasers at some point. That they explode, they snap from the suppressing and the repressing. So they're either going to explode, which is why I hear from so many people pleasers who lost lost it with somebody it might have been with loved ones it might have lost it at work but finally it's it erupts out of them and then they feel ashamed may i just add yeah uh, natalie so in my capacity as a social worker that explosion and this is also to do with other factors quite often people come from a very disadvantaged background and have all sorts of childhood like really significant Mm. childhood traumas 
But the other thing about that explosion is not just about shame. I've seen that implode. I've seen that explosion manifest as psychosis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, and it's and and the, and what can happen is rather than us seeing that as the watershed moment in our life where it's like, okay, something has we've we've gone too far with, with everything that we've been doing. This is a sign that I'm carrying too much. I need to take care of us, myself. A lot of the time we will see that and go, see, this is why I don't tell people how I feel. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't tell people what I need or what I want, because look what happens. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that because we're not consistently feeling our feelings and expressing our thoughts, we're not taking care of ourselves on a consistent basis. This is why we exploded. We didn't explode because we're a bad person. Mm-hmm. We're not feeling this way because what we said or, or us having needs is wrong. It's the culmination of all of that old trauma, because there is always trauma of some sort behind yeah. people pleasing. There is always, yeah. and of course, trauma varies. One person's trauma might be a very, very different type of trauma to somebody else, but everybody has stuff that they're carrying around with them that influences the way in which they behave today. And for some people, they're going to explode externally where it, it's with people around it, but sometimes we implode. Yeah. We feel like we break down within. And again, it's this call on us to, it's that disconnection that you talked about earlier on, that if we're so disconnected from ourselves, it is going to be our emotional, mental, and physical well-being that is going to call on us, and of course our spiritual well-being as well, that's going to alert us to the need for us to take care of ourselves. That's most definitely what happens to me. Like I, my whole life started breaking down. Mm-hmm. I felt like I, I hit absolute rock bottom. Absolutely. At least mm-hmm. that's what you think you're doing at yeah. that time. Yeah. But I was, tw- I was uh, 28 and I had been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness mm-hmm. and they were saying it was incurable and that I had to go on steroids for life. And I'd just done steroids for like a year. Mm-hmm. I'd come close to, I, I could have lost my sight. And thankfully I stopped paying attention to the GPs that were telling me that there was nothing wrong with me. And, um, I went for it. I had an immune system disease. And do you know what? I know that that immune system disease that uh, I had sarcoidosis was me, my body. And I've read up enough about this now since then, but I even knew it then. I realized it's all the trauma that I had been through throughout my life had built up. And a series of decisions that I had made, including to be involved with a co-worker who already had a girlfriend, I think just was the tip me over the edge. And my sight was affected. My spleen became very enlarged. I could barely walk. I had all this, I, it, like my chest was full of shadows. Mm-hmm. It was like having a Lodgkin, a Hodgkin's lymphoma without the, the cancer. It was yeah. in a bad way. And it was only when I was sat in this consultant's office and he was saying, you know, you're going to have to go on steroids for life. You don't have any other options. And I heard myself saying, uh, no. And I surprised myself because yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> Would have been the previous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd be at that point when I was sitting with him, I'd been diagnosed about 18 months beforehand. I just did whatever they told me to. Yeah. yeah. They said, take prednisolone for a year you know, uh, these are the side effects. This is, this is your only option. And I went, okay. And all of a sudden I was like, all I do in life is just do what everybody else wants me to do. I, uh, work myself to the bone at work. I, I, I worked in advertising in a three year period. 
I think I missed target once. And the time I missed targets was actually something unrelated to my level of effort. It was to do with some sort of change. So, and I often was burning myself out as if like I was responsible for the target of the entire team type of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was, I was talking to somebody else the other day and I said, you know what? I realized the other day that as just how much of a people pleaser I was that I had been sick for 18 months and I did not tell HR. And I, I dragged me. myself, I dragged hmm. myself to work sometimes in agony. I was taking eye drops. I was taking the steroids. I didn't tell them for 18 months. And when I went in and finally spoke to them, they were like, this is something that we should have known about since day one. But it was like, admittedly at the time, I think part of me argued to myself, well, you know, I'm not going to let this disease beat me. And if I don't like... But that's the narrative it. we're given. Be strong, push through, keep yeah, going. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we then, think that burnout means when we've actually crashed. Yeah. We don't actually realise, we're not educated to realise that burnout is a series of symptoms. Absolutely. Preach, preach, preach. And then when I, I, I went up to HR and I said, I've been sick for 18 months. And they were like, and you've like hit your targets and you've done this and you've done mm-hmm. that. It was, I was like a machine. Mm-hmm. And they allowed me to come into work uh, a bit later and to go home earlier. There was no questions asked about appointments. It took 18 months before I would do that. I had a, I had a panic attack in, in central London the year before that. And that again was off the back of some pretty intense people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Every time I was around that person after that in the weeks, I would feel like it was almost like having like electric shock crackle through my chest and start to feel everything closing down. And it was, it was as if my body was going, okay, we've dropped some hints to you before Thank you. and you would not pay attention. <laughs> we're going to so shut it down. We're going to shut it down. And it was like, I actually ended up turning around and saying, I literally cannot be around you because every time I'm around you, I, I, I can feel myself going into, I have to take the heat. And the panic attack symptoms started going away the moment that I distanced myself from this wow. person. And so I have noticed this very, very close connection between my emotional well-being, my physical well-being, uh, my mental well-being, my everything well-being and people-pleasing. I say to people, the more you cut back on people-pleasing is the better that you will feel emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, and your relationships as well. Mm-hmm. And, but people resist that. It's quite fascinating, but they resist it because it's an entrenched pattern. It's an entrenched pattern and we fear change more yeah. than anything. Um, wow, 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 wow. I just want to say to uh, everybody... Um, Many of you will know, some of you may not. And it surprises me sometimes when I speak to people that work in well-being, when I speak to them about trauma. Mm. Oh, no, yeah, no, life was great, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then you break it down and then you can see them like, oh, okay. So I just would like to be clear, trauma, the dictionary definition of trauma is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience it doesn't say absolutely massive. It yeah. doesn't say life-altering. A deeply distressing or disturbing experience. And something Natalie was talking about just now, or throughout this conversation, has been talking about the characteristics, the personality traits we embody as children that are protective. So those adaptations we make as children that help us to survive and stay within our tribe, stay within the safety of our pack. They serve us as children 
but they become maladaptive, yeah. which means like minus adaptive as we become adults. So when people talk about things like um, the tools you use to survive aren't the same tools you use to thrive. Yeah. People pleasing is a classic survival tool. Mm-hmm. People pleasing cannot exist within thriving. So I'd like you to think about that. And in terms of what Natalie, you're just talking about um, panic attacks and realizing that being around somebody was unhealthy for you. I invite everybody when they finish listening to this podcast to get a sheet of paper. It doesn't need to be a notebook. doesn't need to be fancy. Fold it in half, write, draw a line down the middle and write energizing, draining. Yeah. And really have a good look at that draining list because there are some people. Mm, okay. Let me be all the way real. There are many people that will have a long list under draining and hardly Mm. anything under energizing. And that will be one of the ways that you can start to address your people-pleasing ways and start to free yourself from the um, bondage of people-pleasing. I think that that's so true because um, something that I teach a lot about is bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that because I think that part of the the passage out of people pleasing and and reclaiming ourselves from it is understanding that each and every one of us has our own personal bandwidth. So there's no point in going, well, Jessica, you know, works seven days a week and volunteers and does Coke and goes out and does this, that, and the other, because that's Jessica. Yeah. Now everybody's bandwidth is personal and, you know, how much sleep we're having, you know, what we're diet, you know, uh, sort of how we're taking our care of ourselves in the day to day. Yes, that matters. But how we spend our time, what we're doing, who we're spending it around, how much of our bandwidth is actually being spent on us has a significant impact on our emotional, mental, physical and spiritual well-being. So we only have so much time, energy, and effort. So where we spend our attention, plus we've got our emotions. So where we spend our time, energy, and efforts affects our emotions. And the more time, energy, effort spent being and doing things that are not really us, the more time, energy, and effort spent saying yes when we really want to say no is the less bandwidth we have. We do not have the same bandwidth on a Tuesday as we did on a Monday Mm because a lot of us kind of carry on like robots. And so one of the things I say to people is, yes, you might feel pretty rested after the weekend and rock up to work on a Monday and be like, okay, I'm ready for the week. And you take on a whole load of stuff. If you keep going at that level all week, you're going to ignore your bandwidth Mm -hmm. over the course of the week. So it adjusts. And if you your are cycle, going, if you're a woman with yeah, periods, a yeah, your periods, cycle. any uh, st- other stresses, like I said to people, one of the things I encourage, count your stresses when you're giving yourself a hard time because you feel as if you, you know, you're struggling to cope with life, count your stresses. What have you got going on in your life? Often people turn around and go, well, I've had a bereavement. I've had the fallout with this person. I've take, I've got like 20 projects on at work when I really only have the bandwidth for two, mm-hmm. you know, I've got this, this, that, the other, count your stresses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something else that we also need to be aware of is that technically as humans, we all start off with uh, the same sort of stress threshold. But of course, 
from when we're in the womb and then we exit out of the womb and we come into life, different things are going to come along that are going to stress us. So just like you were saying with trauma, it doesn't say about size. Your body also isn't actually concerned with size or stress. It's just mm-hmm. concerned with stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you imagine, we all have a threshold. And if we experience stress over a prolonged period of time, we adapt to an, uh, a higher threshold of stress. So we are now in a new normal. Mm-hmm. There are a hell of a lot of us who are people pleasing and being a perfectionist and overthinking and doing all sorts of stuff who don't realize that our idea of okay is actually not okay, that, we're, that we are way above our mm-hmm. stress threshold mm-hmm. and that we are treading in water. And what you mentioned about you know, being maladaptive, that, that whole people pleasing to survive, we can thank ourselves for doing the best that we could mm-hmm. when we were kids. Mm-hmm. We keep carrying on as if the world is a giant-sized replica of our childhood home or our childhood environment. We are overcompensating and doing things in places that we really don't need to. And we are adding to our stress. And what happens is we get frustrated and we're like, well, why is it that I can't cope with this, this, that, and the other? Because before I used to be able to go around busting up my boundaries and taking on all of this stuff, because it diminishes more and more over time because you're not supposed to be doing it. And your body can't cope with that level of stress. So if you keep throwing more and more stuff at you, your body is literally going to start throwing out, it might start start out as subtle messages like, hey, something's a bit off here, please take care of me. And eventually... This is often when you hit what people think of as burnout, but when things come crashing down, that is when you're forced to slow down. I have a yeah. friend, she was on a holiday about three years ago, and she said she felt really weird pain when she was in the gym. She was like, she's all head of the PTA, all sorts of stuff. It turned out she had like an abscess, and that abscess, it took two years for it to heal. She spent practically a year in bed. Mm. And she said, Do you know what? It was so frustrating but she said my life changed Mm -hmm. because I had to say no to a whole load of stuff and she said and all that stuff that I talked to her about with people pleasing suddenly really started she realized taking her that illness forced her to reconsider her Mm -hmm. life she's not Mm -hmm. the person she was before that illness the people pleasing faded in that year because she couldn't be you know the energizer bunny of people pleasing anymore Amen, hallelujah, all of that, all of that. So um, how can people pleasers, so, so I believe, it's not just that I believe, all the reading, research, my career, all the rest of it um, has demonstrated very clearly to me that people pleasing is one of the biggest symptoms of people being disconnected from themselves. Mm-hmm. How can people, okay then, so I suggested the energizing and draining list so that mm-hmm. people can actually see on paper what, what their life is looking like. How can people start to connect with who they really are? Because people, ple- people pleasing and that whole mindset is such a heavy mm. coat of armor. Yeah, there's a, there's a few things I recommend. So... When I talk about feeling our feelings, that is a really, really important part of uh, reconnecting to ourselves and being ourselves. However, I'm going to leap out of bed tomorrow and be like, hallelujah, I can feel all of my feelings. It is, it's a journey. You might feel that. like you've just had a run in with the exorcist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what, what we actually need to do is we spend a lot of time, particularly as people pleasers, 
being very attuned, over-attuned, I would say, to other people's so-called feelings and, and needs and behaviors. So one of the things I recommend people is do is that they start or end or both their day asking the question, and you can stand in front of the mirror uh, if you want to, or just ask it, but how am I doing today? Now, the simplicity of this is scary, and yet it is very, very powerful. Do you know why? Because the average people pleaser has no clue how they feel on a day-to-day basis. They do not ask how they are. They are concerned with how everybody else is. And by tuning in and asking, how, I'm, how am I doing today? We get a sense of, oh, my body's feeling tight here, or I'm, I'm feeling a bit low, or actually I'm feeling all right this morning, or, or I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed. If we're not asking these questions, how can we orient our day, our choices to support us? What often happens is because we're not asking how we're doing, we make a series of decisions over hours, days, and weeks. And then one day we're like losing it with our kids or with our partner or with a friend or a family member. And we have no idea why. And it's because we haven't known how we've been doing along the way. Now, even if we're missing a day here or there, consistently checking in with us and asking how we are doing starts to connect us to our feelings. If we go, oh, I don't know, even that is an answer. Because if you go, oh, I don't actually know how I feel. Oh, that's you know inter- that what's so interesting about I don't know? When you're, what my experience is that when you're, co- if you leave someone to their own devices, they can cognitively tell themselves they don't know. Their body is doing bits and bobs. Yeah. But in the, and this is why coaching is really helpful. And I think people need to start to think about it as an ex. Um, as an investment rather than an expense Mm -hmm. because how long can you afford to not know when you're in a coaching environment a coach will help you by asking questions that help you to peel back the layers Mm -hmm. when I ask those questions following someone saying I don't know we always get to what they know it's just that they are so disembodied. They are so disconnected. I remember reading on a um, somatic training website that we uh, need to stop using, you need to stop thinking about our bodies as a taxi for our brains. When you're able to connect your mind with your body, mm-hmm. you are able to peel back the layers and start to make sense of what you don't know because you do know. Well, well absolutely. It's on your own right now. But I am, you know... Am I flogging my coaching services? Possibly I am. But (laughs) what I'm saying is you can ask yourself the question, but because you're clever, because you're very skilled at people pleasing, because you've lived a life where you have bowed down to the pressure of your inner child, you may find that you will still find a way to rationalize yourself out of the true answer. Yeah, absolutely. And actually one of... uh, frequent feeling sort of an emotional state for people pleasers is and I'm doing air quotes here confusion and we we reach for that because when we what happens with people pleasing is that we experience tension and then we try to relieve ourselves of the tension with people pleasing so for instance somebody asks us something or we we get the sense of somebody else's need and then we feel this tension and the default is people please get rid of the tension and then when people 
are behaving in a way or asking us stuff. And we on some level know that we need to say no or what it is that we need and want. Everything gets fuzzy because it's like a protective mechanism. Like, oh, I don't want to have the boundary. Let me be confused instead. Mm-hmm. And what I found time and time again oh, is that wow. when you probe a I bit. I don't like the boundary. Let me be confused instead. Yeah. Because, because we find, a lot of us find boundaries scary because we've been socialized to believe that saying no is wrong. Mm-hmm. We've been socialized to believe that saying no is selfish. But we've also been socialized to believe that actually there are instances where we do need to say no, but people are probably going to tear us a new one if we do turn around and say it. So Most like, of the well, time they bloody well don't. Well, no, they don't. I, I always say to people, it is not worth, uh, you know, saying yes 100% of the time when it's probably only on about 5% of occasions that life is actually going to meet or exceed your expectations of conflict. So if 95% of the time it isn't, why would you say yes 100% of the time? Finger snaps. And so I, I also say to people is when you feel yourself in that, when you acknowledge when you're like doing the whole overthinking, when you're feeling guilty, resentful and grab a piece of paper straight away. You can still look like you're working if you sit at work or whatever, but grab a piece of paper and it doesn't matter what comes out. Just start writing. Just start mm-hmm. with what I'd like to empty out right now is, and just keep writing, writing, writing. Once about six or so minutes has gone by, you will get to the roots of what is, because you start to get into your subconscious about six yeah. minutes in. Yeah. It doesn't matter if the first, however many pages are total, it's a jumble that doesn't even make sense. It might even just sound like total rage that is coming out. But a few minutes in, it might be like, I feel so inadequate. This just reminds me of mom. Mm-hmm. Or so, and we don't know. If we don't tune into this stuff, it mm-hmm. just rumbles round and round, making mm-hmm. us feel ill. Something that I also think can be a real game changer for people pleasers is that is distinguishing between desire and obligation. Now, think about when you've really, really wanted something, when it's like being, as I visit Marie Folio that says about being a hell yes. Mm -hmm. So think about when you've really, really wanted something. You know how that feels. Make a mental note of it, even write it down. Now, Think about when you have not, when you've realized even afterwards, wow, like that is not what I wanted to do. If it, if it is, if it feels like an obligation, you've either got to turn it into a desire. Mm-hmm. You've got to either talk to the person about your expectations or what you think is going on, or you've got to like not do it. Mm-hmm. Because if it's not a desire, you are going to do it for the wrong reasons. Now, this might mean, for instance, a family might turn around and ask us to do something and we might feel obliged, but if we don't get to a point where we're making a conscious decision to do that, and it doesn't have to be enthusiastic, like let me go and dance off the tables, but it's like rather than victimizing ourselves and being like, oh, I'm obliged and I have to do this and, and telling ourselves this whole story and then victimizing us and instead being like, okay, I can choose whether to do this or not. And if we can't get to the point of, choosing to do it and positively choosing to do it and doing it in a way that supports our emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual well-being, we need to say no. And what I've noticed is that when we pay attention to the difference between an obligation and a desire, we realize most of the time we're going around doing stuff based on the feeling of obligation and what follows from obligation is guilt and mm-hmm. what follows from guilt is resentment. resentment. When we do things from a place of desire, we can be like, okay, um, I do want to help my family, 
but this is the level at which I want to go and do that rather than I'm obliged. Well, if I don't do it, they're all going to hate me. I'm going to be abandoned. This is that and the other. It changes the conversation that we're having because self-care is knowing the difference between what we want and what somebody else wants. Mm -hmm. And it is also as well about including us in our thoughts and our choices and Mm -hmm. our decisions rather than everything being centered around everybody else. So if we can start to recognize the difference between desire and obligation, even if we can't quite figure that out, notice when guilt or resentment or irritation shows up. We know it. If we're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person. Oh my gosh, they're going to think this. Or, oh, I can't believe they're asking me again. Why is it always me? All of these thoughts and feelings are telling us This is something that's like people-pleasing. It's the obligation, the resentment, and the guilt showing up again. Um, And And then it's not not pure. It's not not like in a saintly way. No. Again, like really, people-pleasers, all of us, do you want to manipulate people? Like, because that's the very bottom line, isn't it? But, 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 But that's the whole thing is that, uh, when I put myself in a position of, like before I was like, yes, 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 yes. Now, I, for instance, I'm re- I mean, the whole diary thing and the calendar thing, like it really takes work over a period of time to really get into that habit of really looking at your calendar and not just looking at today and this week, but even mm-hmm. looking to the following week and mm-hmm. the following week after mm-hmm. and looking at your month mm-hmm. in context. Mm-hmm. That's a big piece of the, the, the self-care and people-pleasing thing. But I, I, when you actually start to notice where you are spending your time, energy, efforts, and emotions each week, it is an eye-opener. I recommend mm-hmm. that people spend uh, a week just observing their week. If you can do two, great, but a week is often more than enough. So what are you saying yes, no, and maybe to? What are you, even if you're not saying it, what are you showing through your compliance, through your involvement, showing yes, no, or maybe to. And the data on that is astounding. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people said they're even shocked by half a day looking at it because we are often just floating along, running around. Oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Yes. yes, 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 all this type of stuff. So I say spend a week observing and, and it's that mindfulness. So observe, try to observe without judgment. So rather than being like, oh my gosh, like, what's wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. Just observe your week and get a sense of where are you spending your time, energy, effort, and emotions. Who is it that's, who's always asking you to do stuff? There are people, something I call our people-pleasing entourage, people in our life that benefit from our people-pleasing. Yeah. People who know that we are the ones to go to. Please make a note of who those people are. That's your people-pleasing entourage. Just like yeah. celebrities, when they have the hangers-on, that they know that if they basically... Uh, supported you in having healthier boundaries, they wouldn't get drugs or they wouldn't get money or they wouldn't yeah, get yeah, booze yeah. or the or the invites. Your people-pleasing entourage, they are people who benefit from your people-pleasing. So you May spend the I first add week very quickly, mm-hmm. parents, yeah. parents, sometimes we people-please our children. Yes. And they're not even asking us to. Yes. And, 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 and kids, and I know this from my own experience as a child, um, kids do not have 
that level of emotional intelligence, I'm not saying they're not emotionally intelligent, but to be working out, oh, like mom or dad is like people pleasing me and they want me to, to basically do this in return. It's too much to expect of a child. They just want to be a kid. Mm-hmm. And I found out really, really hard as a kid to, to, to have that put on me. But I've also... Because it's, it's, it's parents manipulating their children. Yeah. And, and then now as an adult and, and, and being a parent myself, it's like, do you know what, right? I, my kids aren't going to give me brownie points because I've basically been a parent. And I have to work out what the boundaries are. I mm-hmm. have to help my children guide and direct them. I know I can't think all their thoughts for them and make all their decisions, but I'm the parent here. I've got to work out the boundaries. I've got to guide and direct them. And they don't need to be licking my feet because I'm doing what I'm actually supposed to be doing. Hello. Uh, and, and that's a real wake up. I think that if we can do observation, do the whole observation thing, this is how we can catch ourselves and the people pleasing that. Because you will hear, hear people, some people will listen to this, but like, I'm not a people pleaser. I, I can say, okay, then today you go off and you, you say no. Try and cut your yes by 50%. Yeah. Let's see how you get on now. And so what I say to people is after a week of observing, spend a week trying to cut your yes by 50%. It's not because I'm, uh, I'm saying, oh, well, you necessarily will be able to, although you might be able to, but it's what you learn from setting the intention to say yes less. And what happens is that people who were convinced that they're not people pleasers are shocked to their core when they realize that they are damn near having a meltdown at the thought of saying no, that mm-hmm. they're seized by panic and they were totally, it was totally out of their awareness before they did this experiment. And it's like, if you don't think you're a people pleaser, please go cut your yes by 50%. Bear in mind, we're all free to say yes, no, and maybe. Mm-hmm. Your boundaries, mm-hmm. you're the steward of your needs. Yeah. Right? You're the steward of your boundaries. Yeah. You're not a people pleaser. Go and cut your yes by 50%. And what they will find is that there are certain situations where the paralysis sets in, where panic and all the rest. And that is where your people pleasing is. Ooh, child. <laughs> yes, there's a tool. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. It might lend itself to this. Um, there's a website called getselfhelp.com and they have an activity diary, which is usually used for people that are experiencing depression. And you keep a contemporaneous record of your day and the activities you're doing and you just write a record of whether or not you had a sense of achievement something else something else um so I think in terms of recognizing where you are being energized and drained that may Mm. be a good tool and you may be able to adapt it to look at um where you're saying yes and it doesn't feel good um and if you can't I will create one because I just think it will be a very useful tool for all of us. Um, Speaking of tools, uh, Natalie, could you recommend some books, resources, systems, whatever, um, for people that are thinking, actually, there is some people-pleasing I need to address here? um, I've just finished a thing called The Deepest Well by Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris. I think she's now the... Is it the Surgeon General for California? The Deepest Well. Yeah, The Deepest Well. Okay. Um, and a friend had recommended it to me, and she talks about the impact of childhood adversity on our health. 
And what's quite interesting is people tend to associate adversity with poverty or with being of a certain race, whereas actually adversity affects everybody mm-hmm. in different ways. And they have this, uh, they call it ACE screening. So I think it's adversity. I can't remember what it stands for, but it, but it basically is about, there's a 10 point quiz that checks about your levels of adversity. Even if you have one on there, then uh, that's going to impact on your on your health and, and your confidence and, and 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 your experiences. I actually scored eight out of ten. Wahoo! On on this Absolutely. quiz, it was like wow. Yeah. But I I know through all the work I have done on, on and with myself and continue to do that I've definitely been chipping away at yeah. adversity doesn't rule my life so much as it did um, in the past. So uh, the deepest well, and the other one is, um, and I'm, I, I can, can't remember his name, is The Body Keeps the Score. I was going to suggest that one. I can't remember his name either. He's um, oh. a Dutch name or something. Yes. But it's yeah. okay. There'll be links in the show notes. But that's And may I tag fantastic. on Everything by Dr. Gabor Mate. Okay. And now I need to go and check that out. Yeah. I, the, the, those two particular books I thought were, uh, I mean, with um, The Body Keeps the Score, I'm not kidding you when I said I only got one and a half pages in and I started crying. I saw myself. I got my journal out straight away and I was literally journaling as I read that book. Do yeah, you know exactly. what? I even got it on Audible so that I could listen and write because it was so powerful and yeah. revealing. And what I would just like to tag on to that, when you were talking about illness, that was oh so real for me because I had my dance with um, illness, which is directly linked to my emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. What what we are finding now is that because the biomedical model, which includes psychology and psychiatry, mm-hmm. dealt with the brain with with our cognitive mind as a separate entity from yeah. our bodies, it's only now that science is beginning to recognise the link between our emotional well-being, our trauma scores, let's say, mm-hmm. and how they manifest as illness. So there are some people who are popping all sorts of pills, they're going to all these different appointments, and mm-hmm. doctors aren't able to give them the um, answer, so they keep taking all this medicine in the hope. Actually, by addressing your emotional health, by working towards... So a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, a lot of the people that are attracted to the work I do, they are at the upper end of survival and -hmm. they're finding it really hard to tip over into thriving Mm -hmm. because we're so attached to the survival tools. Mm -hmm. When you start to look after yourself on a day-to-day basis, moment by moment, you will start to see shifts. They're not huge. They are ripples, but those ripples lead into a wave because we're expecting you have a headache, you take a painkiller, within half an hour the headache disappears. We cannot take that approach to our emotional well-being. It is gradual and it is subtle, mm-hmm. which is why these things require practice and repetition because that's how we start to dig into our subconscious mind, which really is ruling the roost. So with all of these things, I would recommend giving yourself the opportunity to do it continuously. If you Mm -hmm. fall off, don't worry about falling off, just get back on. And with the books, I'm I'm always, I smile when I say to people like in my coaching work, have you read this book or suggested book? Oh yeah, I've read that already. 
you've read that yeah. already. There's reading. How are you applying it? Exactly. So sometimes we need to read something two times, three times to really absorb um, the messages. So I would say just uh, maybe cut back on scrolling on social media. And I'm not <laughs> saying that in a shady way, like genuinely, because when I cut back, my reading went up um, and take the time to really digest uh, so that you can absorb the information in a way that you're then able to apply mm-hmm. um, and connect with your own internal wisdom. Um, I uh, Another resource I can recommend, and this is one of my own, is um, I um, have a course called Embrace Healthy Boundaries. Um, and that in itself, learning to create healthy boundaries, it basically it cuts you right down on the people pleasing. And yeah. I think it's really important what you said there about how you, you, it's not about setting some gold standard of self-care or, or habits. It's that it's the cumulative effect mm-hmm. that what you do um, often matters more than what you do occasionally or rarely, mm-hmm. which is why I say to mm-hmm. people like, okay, like going for a massage, lovely. But uh, if you go for a massage in the context of then treating you badly on a day-to-day basis and ignoring your boundaries, then how much difference is a massage going to make? Exactly. But it is the cumulative effect that even when you go through periods of being hard on yourself, maybe not having the best of boundaries, because you have been intentionally going about trying to take care of you, you have a base to go back to. You remember what that was like. You never go back to the absolute worst of um, how you've been before. And so I, um, in learning about boundaries is, is, is absolutely critical. Um, people think that the boundaries thing is just about your interpersonal relationships, but actually if you don't create healthy boundaries, you're going to struggle with work. You're going to struggle with your creativity. You're going to struggle around money. Um, I've done a lot of work with people around that as well, because the sense of the boundaries, low self-worth, the people pleasing <coughs> literally impact on how much money you, uh, you, you make. And so there is that need to create healthy boundaries. And, it's just that realizing this is a a journey without yeah. sounding too woo woo. It's a journey and a process. Like I, you mentioned, we love woo woo around here. So don't yeah, I'm, worry I'm about like that. Super, I'm super, I'm super <laughs> metaphysics. We call it around here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've had um, tinnitus for five and a half years, and it's at the lowest that it's 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 basically far lower than it's ever been. I say it's about ninety five percent gone, and I have had some of my darkest darkest moments with this tinnitus and I hated my body at times. Why do I have this tinnitus? This tinnitus has been a healer and a teacher to me as a result of having this because it's, I think that there's levels of learning. And so I have been on the journey, like I said, I've been blogging for 15 years. I've had baggage reclaimed for over 14 years. So I have been sharing my insights and, and healing out loud and, mm-hmm. and helping people all that time. But there are levels. And I feel like tinnitus took me to a whole new level. Because level. You're just peeling and peeling mm-hmm. and peeling mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. helping you to evolve. And so the tinnitus, as frustrating as it was, that is really when me cutting back on people pleasing and really, really doubling down on respecting myself and my body and my, you know, my bandwidth. Because yeah. we expect a lot of ourselves. I don't think we realize just how much we expect of us and that we would not expect it of a small child or a loved one. We just yeah. expect it of us. Or ourselves. <sighs> Gosh, yeah. Illness is what got me to a point where I was like, you know what, lady, you need to pump the brakes because you're either going to lose your mind or lose your life. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the doctor 
said to me that um, I had an issue with my immune system. That's often where this stuff shows yeah. up. Um, I My neutrophils were very, very low. And um, basically the doctor was saying that um, I needed a bone marrow transplant to... Wow. Um, yeah, what they do is inject your bone marrow with neutrophils and then your bone marrow starts to reproduce and your levels of neutrophils um, build in your white blood cells. And I just thought, nah, man, like that that's not my story. That's not my portion. No. I know that this is definitely linked to my emotional well-being and yeah. also the quality of the food I was eating. I've never been one that's too big on processed food but yeah. actually living earthy life-giving food that wasn't really much of a priority for me um, and as a social worker we spent so much time eating in our cars and just eating yeah, yeah. sandwiches and rubbish like that um, that that for me was a turning point and it got to a point whereby I couldn't dishonor my boundaries and people started to change their expectations of me um, what would have been um, a more mature thing for me to do would have been for me to say to people, these are my boundaries, um, but I didn't have the capacity or the range at that time to do so. Mm-hmm. But when we're running around talking about people honoring your boundaries, it starts with you. Mm-hmm. The moment I started to be clear and honor my boundaries, even though I didn't have the conversations that needed to be had, the way that I was carrying myself directly impacted the way people were treating and engaging with me. Amen. Take it to the church. To the church. At the end of the day, I mean, this is the powerful thing that I learned about boundaries. A lot of the resistance to having healthier boundaries is this idea that, well, what's the point? Because like that person is going to do this or they're not going to like that. Boundaries are twofold. So if we know what the boundary is for others, then that should tell us what the boundary is for us. And we can still be boundaried. If we know what it is that needs to change on our end, that's what we need to deal with. That changes how we show up because we stop coming from this place of, oh, it's down to everybody else. The world has to go and shift. And it's like, well, hold on. If I know what my boundaries are, I need to live them. And that stops us from, yes, sometimes we are going to have conversations with people. But actually, often, once we create the boundary for ourselves, We've had that conversation with us. And now, because we're showing up differently, that mm-hmm. takes care of a lot of things in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Natalie, before we part ways, um, do you have any courses, any services that anybody that is curious about working with you uh, should know about? Well, I have my Reclaimer membership, which is full of resources to help you to build those boundaries, the self-care habits to break out of those patterns that aren't serving you. So it's got a mix of like master classes as well as mini classes. I, you know, I do office hours as well. So um, you get to do a little bit of one-on-one um, with me each month. But the resources in there is literally the practicals. Because I I think, and you highlighted this at the start, there's a lot of sort of wide-sweeping, generalized talk. Oh, well, you need self-care and you need this. But a lot of people don't even understand what those things are. So it's like how to put this into your life, like literally the practicals, how to have healthier boundaries, how to manage situations, how to deal with conflict. And in that membership actually includes courses like the Embrace Healthy Boundaries. And uh, I've got another one, tune into your uh, inner voice and, mm-hmm. and uh, let go of your inner critic. And 
having those resources in there included as a membership means that you've got lots and lots to work with there. And it really is aimed at people pleasers, perfectionists, and overthinkers. So if you've identified, if you identify with any of those, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to get a lot out of that membership. Uh, but even so, I have a um, book called 100 Days of Baggage Reclaim. And here's the funny thing, and I'm sure you can identify with this, Tamu, because I know that you, uh, you are very creative and you do a lot of stuff. And so I, like, I have created loads and loads of stuff. So I say I've written five books, like published, self-published five books. I've created like a ton of material behind the scenes. But 100 Days of Baggage Reclaim is a book that I wrote a few years ago as part of a project that originally started as an email. And I actually forgot that I had, um, not forgot, well, yeah, but kind of, like, I just basically <laughs> put it out there. I keep getting messages from people going, um, I read your 100 Days of Baggage Reclaim, which is like a, a, a chapter for each day with a mm-hmm. journaling prompt. And they're like, it changed my life. Like, I have, the people pleasing has been totally curved. I've like, oh, my perfectionist, and I've done this whole lot of healing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, totally liked it, that book. But you know, even because we create, from, we just yeah. create and move on to the next thing. Yeah. So that's a, a, a thing I'm trying to break to that habit of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's something like embracing what I've actually created and, and nurturing that a bit more rather than uh, us people, please and perfectionists tend to create and then just like, okay, well, onto the next thing, onto the next thing, onto the next thing. Um, Lou. The last Friday of every month on my Instagram page, I share a post called Joy Rumble. Oh, yes, I yes, invite, yes. If I do not see you in my Joy Rumble, <laughs> if I do not see you. <laughs> I'm getting dragged, people. <laughs> Listen, if I do not see And remember, you've come to Wellness is Wealth. I've got your address because you booked a ticket. If That's I do true. not see you in that Joy Rumble at the end of the month... People on my Instagram page, uh, the last Friday of every month, I, I put a caption up that says Joy Rumble, where you share your joy, you pat yourself on the back, you acknowledge something that has brought you joy or somehow you have created joy within your life. If you don't see at Nat Lou in those comments, DM her. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there. I'm going to put a note in my diary now. I have been told. (laughs) Self-celebration by force. Yes, most definitely. You you actually even laughed at my face, you know? (laughs) Good, good. Yeah, but you know what? It's so interesting. And I'm not going to say any more than this. Otherwise, we're going to be here for like 68 hours. Another thing that we're not very good at because of conditioning is self-celebration. And self-celebration is a really great way to connect with yourself. It doesn't make you um, arrogant. It doesn't make you complacent. In fact, it's very, very motivational. But I will part with this. This is what I'm asking all of my guests now at the end of uh, a podcast episode. What does everyday joy mean to you? Let my inner child run free for a bit. Normally with, um, it's, it's those small things that just let me really enjoy my childlike self. So, which normally involves singing along or dancing to 80s, 90s music, drawing, painting, just not taking myself seriously in whatever form that might take. And that has made a profound difference to my life, including, yes, sometimes having bedtime like an eight-year-old at eight o'clock in the evening. That's everyday joy for me is just 
I, I'm sure you've had that feeling, but I'm in my 40s now and I suddenly I'm realizing all that stuff that I used to think mattered really does not matter. That The everyday joy is in pure, unadulterated, being absolutely me in what ridiculous form that might take and enjoying it. That sounds so sexy. <laughs> it is. It actually is, actually, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Natalie Lou, it has been mm, real. It has been real. It has been enjoyable. It has been a real... Pro- Do you know what it's been? It's been refreshing. You know when you step outside and that cold breeze hits and at first you're like, oh my goodness. And then you're like, mm, yeah, this is good. This is waking me up. I feel awakened. I feel alive. I feel energized um, (laughs) by this conversation and I hope that people that are listening if you do feel because quite often these conversations can either trigger or activate if you feel triggered or activated please do uh, slide into my DM. Natalie would be people welcome in your yep pop pop Natalie a DM pop me a DM let's talk about it let's not keep it inside Thank you, Tamu. Thank you very much.